0: Today on the Guild of Dads podcast, I'm joined by Paul McGregor, who is an author, business owner and mental health campaigner. We discuss how suicide rocked Paul's life at 18 when his dad Neil took his own life, the effect it had on Paul and the coping strategies he used to get through this difficult time, and how mental health issues can strike at any time in any family. We also find out the journey Paul went on and continues on in learning about himself and the world around him. Hi, I'm Joe Horton, and this is Guild of Dads. Hey, you over there. Yeah, I can see you. Come over. Sit down and join me as I'm about to have a conversation about you. A conversation about what it means to be a dad, a role model, and to live a life of meaning. About your physical health, how you look after yourself, contribute to the world around you, and raise our next generation. A conversation that will shape the vision you have for yourself forever. Welcome to another episode of the Guild of Dads podcast, your weekly discussion around being a dad. My name is Joe Horton, and I'm the host of this podcast and the founder of the Guild of Dads movement. On this podcast, we interview visionary dads from across the planet and also experts in different key areas which apply to dads areas such as mental health, relationships, physical health, spirituality, and contributing to the world. The idea behind this is is that we bring into the light some of the main issues that dads encounter daily. We give you the tools, resources and information required to impact your own life, to really make you think and reflect on your own life and where you could make some tweaks. We're a movement designed to unify and bring together all dads in a spirit of camaraderie, brotherhood and support. And right now, there's never been a better time than during this period of reflection and consolidation during lockdown to craft a plan for your future. We're a growing community of men over on our Facebook group. And starting from last week, we have weekly lives on the page and group each Wednesday. I want you to get involved and help shape this community and movement going forward. Get involved, step inside what we're doing and start your journey today. This week on Sunday, I'm also going to be releasing the VAM blueprint, the Van blueprint in which I recount my story and offer a blueprint you can follow to use in conjunction with our community and podcast to really level up your own life by using vision, action and meaning. With suicide being the single biggest killer in the UK of men under 45, it's a topic that sits front and centre of the dad's age group since it affects everyone, not just the person who takes their own life my guest today on the podcast is Paul McGregor who is a speaker business owner podcaster and writer who cares deeply about mental health having lost his dad to suicide when he was 18 life was pretty normal up for Paul up until suicide hit his family in his book man up man down Paul recounts the story of his dad taking his own life the impact it had on him and his family and how it led to To a lifelong journey of self-knowledge and awareness Paul describes how at times he needed to man up But not all the time Paul has run multiple businesses Lectured at London College of Fashion And spoke at many events He's featured in the Huffington Post Sky News And BBC News And now to my conversation with Paul Paul, welcome to the Guild of Dads podcast how are you? You good? Yeah, not bad. Not bad yourself.
1: Yeah, not bad. Not bad. It's a strange, strange time, but we won't talk
0: about it. <laughs> well, we can right, talk right. about we can talk about it a little bit. What I've what I've said to the audience is that I'm going to kind of keep it within the context of what we're doing, um, but not. Um, but I'm not going to kind of labour on the point and just overload everyone's mind with more and more coronavirus that we're already getting tons and tons of on the news. But in terms of what's going on at the minute, what um, what is your setup? Are you on full lockdown or are you uh, able to go out for, for work or what's, what's your situation?
1: No, it's a full lockdown, um, kind of makeshift office here. Um, normally I would be working in London. Be, I was working in London quite a lot, so I would travel into London, which is about an hour and a half. Um, you know, most days. So, yeah, working from home, and then I'm doing the shopping. So I've, I'm on shopping duty. So I go shopping once a week, and we we try and go out for our one walk a day. Um,
0: but yeah, just just staying at home. And how are you finding it in terms of in terms of yourself, and in terms of how the rest of the family are kind of dealing with it? I like it. I mean, I've
1: spoken about this before. You know, I'm quite I'm quite competitive and and I've worked from home, you know, I started an online business when I was when I was 19. So I've worked from home for like 10 years. You know, out of that 10 years, I'd probably say a good sort of nine years working from home. Um, so I'm used to it. Mm-hmm. But what I necessarily didn't like as much working from home is everyone else out there hustling and bustling, kind of feeling like they were getting that advantage. It's probably just the ego talking. So actually now we're all at home. Everyone's on that same level, you know, playing field. It's quite nice. You know, I'm spending more time with the family and reflecting a lot, um, realising, you know, that I was probably working too hard as well. So it's kind of nice to just kind of bring it back mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm-hmm.
0: I think to, from the conversations that I've had with other people online and you just see the conversations that I see in kind of different men's groups and stuff, I think it is – I think people are beginning to appreciate the things that they kind of took for granted – Uh, pre-coronavirus, and they're reflecting on how they might want their life to kind of look different as they come out of it, even to the extent that, you know, there's people I know that are kind of real kind of Netflix heads that, you know, will really kind of binge on Netflix, and they're actually, you know, turning the TV off in the evening to kind of like play a puzzle with their kids or do some baking or do some of this other stuff, so people are not only reflecting, but they're, they're actually kind of taking steps to change the way they're you know interacting with their family and their kids and people around them and and thinking about how they can carry that on you know beyond when we come out of lockdown all the rest of it so yeah yeah exactly I think you know
1: it's a a challenging time now but people are reflecting we've got more time um I've spoken to many people as well like that that are also considering careers you know they kind of you know may see their kids between six and seven help put them to bed and that's it and they're kind of saying them to themselves, you know, do I want to go back to that commute? Do I want to go back to that lifestyle of, you know, only seeing my kids for an hour, you know, or do I want to change, you know, career and spend more time in my family? So there's, there's going to be a lot of, you know, obviously huge negatives from this situation. But at the same time, I think a lot of people will question and there will hopefully be a lot of, um, you know, realizations and changes as well during this period.
0: Mm-hmm. And, that's so, and that circles really well around the kind of conversation that we have around meaning uh on Guild of Dads and I know that is something that is kind of somewhat of a North Star for you as well it's really causing people I think to reflect on what what life means to them and how they derive meaning from life and maybe kind of like you say sitting on a sitting on a train doing a three-hour commute each day and um and and actually kind of chasing figures and chasing chasing money and chasing material things are kind of not fulfilling particularly men in the same way as uh as as they once were and this this whole coronavirus thing is, is is almost putting a spotlight on that whole area of meaning and and causing the reflection the meaning the reflection kind of conversation in a lot of guys heads maybe
1: yeah exactly and i think a lot of people will realize maybe they've you know living a lifestyle that they don't know they no longer want to live or maybe they've try to attain a certain level of lifestyle, like that makes them look, you know, wealthy or makes them look happy. Um, that actually now is kind of backfiring a little bit and they have to kind of rethink that. Um, so yeah, a lot of people will start questioning. And like we, we mentioned before you hit record, it's like, there's so much time to, to sort of, you know, listen to what's going on up here. Whereas before we were so busy, like just routine, routine, you know, getting up, working, whatever it was, you know, playing football, watching Netflix, and when when this isn't as busy, you know, we spend a little bit more time thinking about what actually is, is purposeful to us.
0: Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's
1: you know we can only look at the positives, right? That's yeah. that's all we can do. For yeah,
0: day. yeah. But you're right. I think there's there's an element of you know we've all stayed busy to kind of uh, I, I talk a lot on here about people's relationship with thought, in, and funny enough, I, my. Um, uh, a previous guest, a guy called Drew Solata, we, to- we were talking about uh, anxiety and we were saying about people's relationship mm-hmm. with thought. And I think for the first time in probably, you know, a hundred years, this has been the case where people are actually right. I'm not, I can't run away from my thoughts at the, by filling my time and my hours mm-hmm. with stuff. So actually I've got to turn and kind of face my thoughts kind of head on in terms of what I think about, you know, the world around me and relationships and all that good stuff. And I think that's kind of, it's a real, it's a challenging breath of fresh air, but it is a breath of fresh air for a lot of a lot of people, I think, at the moment.
1: Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. It's
0: lots of thinking time, which which is good for some people and hard for others. <laughs> um, now, the real reason that I've uh, asked you to come on and speak to me today, Paul, is regarding your your book and your journey and your story your book uh, Man Up Man Down I read it uh, through a few uh, a few months back now and it is a fantastic chronicle of the journey that you've been on in terms of uh, the experience you had with your dad's your own dad's mental health um, how he took his own life and also the kind of journey that you went on which kind of took you to the to the edge as you found your way back to life, so to speak. Um, but I just wanted to start by sort of asking you how you know, how the how this all started off. Because I know that you're I know you that you come from like a running family that your dad ran, you you run as well and he was a keen athlete and stuff. And I know that there was kind of there was kind of small signs, but you didn't there were you didn't kind of get the seriousness and gravity until it kind of was almost upon you guys. So
1: yeah i mean the the best way of kind of starting whenever i share this story is kind of picturing trying to paint a picture of my dad because you know my dad was when you when you kind of hear you know someone who took their own life you know we all have this condition and i had the conditioning you know oh maybe you know they had mental illness problems you know maybe they you know weren't able to deal with certain challenges um but as you kind of said my dad was my dad was you know every every tick box that you can imagine in life but like he, he had it. so he had like family like my mum they met very young he had loads of friends you know he was a runner he meditated he read self-help books he had a psychology degree um you know he was an engineer like tick 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 like not not rich but like a bit of money in the bank so yeah he was saving um and Like, you know, real kind of role model. And the way that I explain my dad is he was very obsessive, which at that time, you know, growing up, my dad was dedicated. So he was obsessed with running. Like, you know, if he wanted to become, he was the 1500 meter veteran champion in in sort of the UK. If he wanted that, like he would set his mind to it and he'd go after Mm -hmm. it. you know even like money he was obsessed with money but like you know just kind of saving it and you know making sure that everything was kind of in place and and it literally and it's hard to explain it and you know for us it was like that literally um you know one day sort of he went from that person to you know just literally dramatically changing behaviors overnight mm. now That's how we saw it. But obviously, if I do look back, there was kind of little bits and bobs that kind of, you know, mounted up to that period. But the way we thought back then was simply that suicide, mental illness will never affect us. Like, I grew up thinking we were here and mental illness was over there. Like, it's what I see in the movies. It's like, it's never going to impact me and my family. Like, we just, it just never was going to. So we never ever thought that dad would become depressed and we never ever thought that he would, you know, try and take his own life but yeah he literally behaviors changed massively um very hard to explain he was almost completely out of character completely different eyes were very distant and you know was saying stuff out of character um went to the doctors um got antidepressants you know prescribed to him which again was something that i don't think personally helped my dad because he was very holistic you know Mm. drink water got a headache i don't take paracetamol and then um it was such a quick sort of period that from that, from that change in behavior to, to attempted, attempted suicide, it was about seven days. Mm. Um, and I look, we look back on that now and I was very fortunate that he survived that attempt. It was, it was very touch and go, but he survived it and, um, denied it. You know, we all thought everything would go back to normal. And then it kind of didn't. And he actually spent some time in a mental health unit, which really kind of opened our eyes up to mental illness. Um, Kind of that quick change and then attempt, I think if he would have died then, it would have been a lot harder to deal with. Mm -hmm. But kind of seeing my dad in an environment with people with psychosis, borderline personality disorder, you know, in that kind of environment, it's like, wow, this is actually real. That is struggling with a mental illness. Um, And then as you kind of said, very sadly, it was a kind of six month battle. um, And we lost him on the 4th of March, um, 2009, and I was 18. And, um, yeah, like, that was my journey where it began. It was, it was hard to deal with. Um, I got emotional, I got angry and then it was very much like wear the mask as, as most men do kind of, you know, dealing with it on my own, but kind of going out to the pub with my mates, like I went clubbing, I don't know, like a couple of days after six days after, um, went on like a lad's holiday kind of like two months after, um you know had a panic attack first ever panic attack you know there but still kind of like brushed it off mask on that kind of alpha male Mm -hmm. um and yeah that was kind of me for like the next three years (laughs) just just you know i think most men may be able to relate to that not just men women as well like where you put the mask on you're you're putting on this front inside like you're you're kind of you know you're hurting you're not feeling great but you don't want to kind of show that to people Mm -hmm. um yeah
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and I think I could, I, I, you know, we spoke about this off air because I lost my mum when I was 18. And I think you, there is that, there is that. It's not, it's not an expectation that anyone else is putting you on you, I found, but you kind of, you have that expectation of yourself that, okay, I'm a, because I'm 18, uh, I'm, you know, I'm a man, I can deal with this, uh, I'm going to, um, stiff up a lip it out and I'm going to kind of tough it out and yeah everything's going to be normal I'm going to act like everything's normal deep down you know my stomach is churning when I get up every morning and stuff and you know I, 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 I sh- I'm struggling not to kind of cry every morning and stuff and that but you still you know you still having this going through this experience and people sort of say to you oh, are you all right yeah yeah I'm okay I'm whatever and stuff and you kind of you kind of tough it out but the way I described it to you for me was like we, well, you know when you stick a when you hit fast forward button on like a tape recorder like the old tape recorders and then you suddenly hit stop and you know there's that like kind of like inertia where it just goes bang where the motor suddenly stops but then all of a sudden you kind of feel like so sometimes that yeah. inertia is so powerful that it snaps the tape on the tape recorder but it's kind of a bit like i found it personally like that where you where everything kind of goes fast forward but then you all of a sudden you you've got to stop and then you'll sort of still keep going. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. dealing with life is really difficult when it's when it's like that because you've got no reference point, have you, really? On this podcast, I talk about vision, action, and meaning. My debut book, The VAM Blueprint, which stands for Vision, Action, and Meaning, launches on Monday, May the 18th. Now, there won't be any publishers. There won't be any cost. It will be available totally free, a download from my website and the guild of dads facebook group the book isn't a 600 page epic that would take you weeks to read but a simple to follow and understand in it i tell you my story the inspiration behind guild of dads and when you read it you will understand the simple formula towards living a life which has meaning better still i lay out a repeatable step-by-step process that will have you identifying what you really want in life and experience the richness of life's journey as you begin to align yourself with your own vision. If you want to be one of the first to get your hands on a copy, drop me an email to my email address joe at guildofdads.com and you'll be put on the priority list to receive a copy before anyone else. That's joe at guildofdads.com. Grief is difficult to deal
1: with and like there's times I uh, I remember just like after being told like well, we were kind of all together as a family cause, you know without going into too much detail like my dad went missing and kind of um when when you know we got told that obviously you know it it, it died it was um it was like wow like huge emotions as you said everything's like a blur and then about three hours four hours later or whatever me and my brother in the fish and chip shop like you know on the way home to you know our house with my mum um because people are like you've got to eat so me and me and my brother steve are in a fish and chip shop and like i just remember that vividly because it's like literally four hours ago we just got told that you know our dad ended his own life and now we're in a fish and chip shop and then the next morning me and my mum walk the dog and everyone's like morning and as you know like life just goes on and it's, it's such as as you said it's that that kind of you know tape recording being fast forward or like you're here and like the world's just spinning around you. And I just hear that. And it's like, it's just a re- it's a really kind of weird experience and grief is difficult. And then what I found was difficult with my dad as well was like, with suicide comes a lot of, um, you know, answered questions mm. like why I didn't understand like that day. I didn't understand it. Mm. I just did not understand suicide. I didn't understand um, depression. I was brought up with conditioning that suicide was selfish. So, so, you know, a lot of us were, So when that happens, it's like, did dad not love me? Um, You know, why did dad do this? There was anger. Um, There were so many different emotions that come with it. But at the same time, the reason why I tried to move on quicker was because I was like, people will feel like dad chose to do it. Mm -hmm. And I also, you know, at that point probably felt like dad chose to do it. Mm -hmm. So I need to move on. Like this is dad's decision. So I need to move on Mm -hmm. and just get on with life. You know, know, as you said with your mom in in that kind of situation or – or losing someone like that wasn't their choice whereas the way i saw my dad it was was his choice mm-hmm. um now my my obviously opinions of that have changed massively over the years when when i kind of went through really low periods and you know to help me get to the place that i'm at now where i can talk about it um i had to understand it and i understood that my dad was unwell i understood that my dad loved us he just felt like he was a burden to us you know, I understand that, you know, my dad didn't want to die. He just couldn't deal with what was going on in his mind anymore. Um, but that took a long, long time to mm-hmm. kind of get there. So as you said, a big part of the grieving process for me was, was a huge amount of anger and unanswered questions as well. Yeah. Um, and I think with grief, you probably had it as well, is then start, people start putting time limits on it, right? So it's like, you know, how long has it been since
0: your mum? Uh, so that was 1999. So that's quite a while ago. I've probably lived. I've yeah. So I've lived more of my life without mum around than I have with now, and that's been for a yeah. couple, That's been for a couple of years now, and it's hey. and it's and it's and it's it, it's weird because you don't like actually people. The, the one thing is yeah, and it's a real cliche. People go oh, yeah, time is a real great healer. It actually is, to be fair. It, that it yes. is. A, it is a cliche, but you know, you get, you know, you don't wake up every morning think, thinking about them, and you know, people, and every, and I think the thing is, is everyone's different as well, because, like, for instance, and I'll give you an example of this. My, um, my, uh, my brother and my the rest of my family, they're always kind of they'll send a text when it's the anniversary of like my mum or my dad or whatever, or when it would have been their birthday or whatever and stuff and like that, and for some reason, I just don't it just doesn't kind of fall on my radar that I kind of, you know, I know they're not around, but I don't need to kind of um, kind of commemorate it if that makes any sense. But everyone's, everyone's, and this is the thing with grief is I think everyone's different. And I think sometimes one of the hardest things I think with grief is where people feel that if they don't signify their loved ones gone or commemorate them or they're they're not uh, dedicating a lot of headspace to it, and I think this is particularly true in the first year or so afterwards, then they should be feel guilty for kind of going out and enjoying the sunshine or, like you say, have, going and grabbing fish and chips or doing whatever and yeah. that. And I think there's this guilt attached to not thinking about someone all the time when, in actual fact, no, that's just your body and your brain's way of recovering from it. So that's a good yeah. thing, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's, so, it's so
1: individual. And, like, even, like, time is a massive healer. But even the way you said, I've lived my life longer without my mum with my mum it's like challenges like that so for me like it was um 10 years so it's been 11 years so 10 years last year and I found that very difficult like that was more difficult than like the ninth year the eighth year for some reason and here I am like talking about it I can stand on a stage talk about it it's what I do I can write a book about it but 10 years come around and it just hit me like just punched me in the face Mm. (laughs) and I don't know what it was and then there was there's certain moments as well. Like you say, time's a healer, but like, um, my granddad, who's my dad's dad, my, my, um, my dad was an only child. He's 95 in June and he's kind of not that with it now. And like, he has carers and stuff. And I walk in, he's like, hi Neil. Like, which is my dad's name. And, um, he's like, how are the boys and I've got two boys and my dad had two boys. So he's like, how's Paul and Stephen?" And I'm like, no, no, no. And it's so confusing. And then, um, but that messed me up a little bit because I'm like, wow, like am I molded into my dad? Um, you know, one of, one, of, one of my fears has always been that I'll end up like my dad. You know, if you lose someone to suicide, um, there is chances that you can potentially, you know, end your life that way as well, which I feel like I'm, you know, definitely steering away from. But, you know, I was always compared to my dad. I looked like my dad. I was sporty like my dad. I was sensitive like my dad. So when your dad, that person that you idolize, ends his own life. You're like, well, is that going to be me as well? Mm-hmm. Um, and even I was thinking the other day, I was speaking to my wife about it. Um, my dad died at 45. I know, I know, I look 19, but I turned 30 on um, in like next week. I turned 30 next week, and that 45 number is playing in my mind still. Yeah. So like when I get my dad's age, like even though that will be what 26 years, 27 years after it happened. I think that will have a little bit of impact on my emotions. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. like times are hit, it's always like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's reference points and there's there's, there's triggers and there could be very sort of the triggers can be very subtle. It could be a smell, it could be a noise, it could mm. be it could be a very, you know, certain things like, you know, that that remind you of them that can that can kind of that can kind of trigger those emotions and they kind of can take you by surprise when they do kind of hit you all those years down the line when you've not kind of, when you think, you know, part of the human condition is kind of, yeah, I think I've got this. And then something comes up and kind of pulls a rug out from under your feet. And you're just like, actually, no, clearly I don't have this at all. And I've got a hell of a lot to learn in this respect. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So uh, there's, yeah. one, there's one, there's one bit that in your book and, you know, I read quite a few books, the same as you, and there's different bits that kind of stick out for me. And I kind of, in certain books, that I find to be very profound. And you talk about kind of blame and asking the, you know, uh, questioning and getting angry about, you know, why did this have to happen and all this kind of stuff. And can you just bear with me two two seconds, Paul, while I just read this out? Because I think it's important for people to uh, reflect on this in terms of the discussion we're having. You said, when your perception of life is intact, you look to the future and you get excited about what's about to happen. When it collapses, you can't see past the darkness. You don't think about tomorrow, about next year, or your potential future. All you see is the moment you're in right now, the depression you feel, and the struggle of getting out of it. I think this collapsed perception of life is key, because um, because that your perception, because when your perception of life collapses, you lose control of everything. Um, and I really liked that was probably one of the most profound things I've read this year, Paul. And I think it, because it strikes right at the heart of the whole discussion around suicide and the idea of, of perception, because I think that, you know, not everyone can relate to being suicidal, but but they can relate to being that down that their, Mm. their, their idea of perception begins to get squeezed and squashed. And do you know what I mean? It doesn't feel right.
1: Yeah, I mean that's I can't even remember writing that. That was uh, very well, well written. Um, it was obviously the editor that made that sound a lot better. But no, it's um so there's a guy called Rory O'Connor. So Rory O'Connor is um, head of suicide research at Glasgow University, and I travelled up to to see him as part of like this small like kind of documentary we were creating, and um, he just explained it to me, and it made so much sense that when someone's suicidal like we all have this you know this perception of life and then when when someone is in that low place you know suicidal or not that perception of life is kind of closing in um some people explain it as if like you're you're in kind of like a room like there's windows and then all of a sudden the windows are taken away and now all of a sudden the kind of walls are closing in on you um so whereas before you could see out the windows you could kind of see a bigger life maybe out there all of a sudden now it's kind of closing it and You know, I think of like my dad's experience, like we, we didn't understand it because all we were saying was you have this, like dad, you've got, you know, family, dad, you know, we love you, dad, you've got a job, you know, dad, you know, you've got no reason to be depressed. I think I've said that many times, Mm. dad, you've got no reason to feel like this. Um, Whereas in my dad's mind, like his tunnel vision, it was just tunnel vision and he couldn't see any of that sort of outside of, uh, outside of it and um he was rory was kind of explaining to me that when someone's suicidal it's not that they it's not that they want to die it's just they see no reason to to live Hmm. um and even like you know my dad's my dad's experience like suicide is physically painful so it's you know how much mental pain are people in when they take their own lives, Mm. because if I'm sitting here now as I am, and I rationalize and I think about how my dad ended his own life. And I think about the physical pain that I'm going to endure. It's just, it's just unquestionable for me to even do it because I'm in a headspace where my perception of life is, is a lot bigger at the moment. Mm. Um, Whereas with my dad, like the mental pain that he was enduring must have been so, so hard to deal with that that doesn't even kick in. Um, So I think, like hope is so key. And again, Rory talks about this. If you can give someone like 0.1, like 0.2% of hope when they're in that kind of tunnel vision, just give them like another second, another minute, another day, another week, another month mm. to continue trying to fight that. And then hopefully they can open up that perspective of life. Yeah, um, I think That's key. And there were so many times, you know, when I look back on my dad's six month period where he was probably very close to, to attempting and he didn't because of something. Like, there was one time when, um, very luckily, a guy he used to run with um, drove past my dad when he was kind of walking around, like, a kind of busy road area and kind of, like, was like, that's that's Neil, and kind of pulled up alongside him, you know, stopped. He's like, you all right? You okay, Neil? Like, you know, everything okay? And my dad was like, yeah, no, it's fine. He says, you know, why don't you know jump in? I'll, I'll take you home. Um, And he took him home. And, like, back then, we didn't even think much of it. We were just like, mm, Dad's going for, you know, a walk maybe, and, um but this guy was like he didn't look right he was kind of you know didn't seem right now my dad survived another like four months after that Mm. so now I look back on that and I think that guy gave him like that percent of hope that he needed probably in that moment when maybe he was going to do it um and that percentage of hope let my dad fight for another four months now in my dad's situation like it still didn't end well but there's been so many cases where you give someone that one percent of hope and they continue fighting and continue fighting, and then they can maybe get the help that they need. And then, as you said, that kind of perception of life mm-hmm. opens back up again for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, like, you, you talk a lot about meaning. I think it, again, comes back to meaning. It's like, you know, if you feel like you have meaning in life, then your your perception of life is a, is a lot bigger. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something bigger than you if you've got meaning. Yeah. Whereas if you don't feel like you've got any meaning in life, then it's it's hard to, to find meaning to live.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the... <laughs> I think the thing is, as well, is, is is there's this, when you talk about that kind of giving that glimmer of hope and that and that small kind of thing that can kind of keep someone keep someone going that little that little bit longer. I think when you described your dad's friend seeing him, it's almost like someone's in like a trance-like state where they're not they're not in the frame of people use the term frame of mind. They're not in that frame of mind where they can rationally think about what's kind of going on because they're so far removed from that kind of that rational frame of mind at that at that specific point, um, mm. and I think that you know we we go like, for instance, if you if you have an emergency situation you need to deal with and you have to go into that kind of fight or flight, your mind is racing and you're kind of you're ruminating and there's like you, you know you've got your all you're thinking about is kind of getting to the hospital to see a loved one or getting into your brain kind of sort of goes into like this autopilot mode, but I wonder whether sometimes if you're kind of in that in that zone where you're having suicidal thoughts your your brain is in that zone for long extended periods of time where you're having those kind of constant like you know irrational thoughts that just keep floating around on that and whether or not it's a it's it's actually kind of it's it's escaping from the pain of your thought like you said the pain of your thoughts are even more painful than the prospect of physical pain for actually going through with actually the act of taking your own life sort of thing it's just it's just right. a, it's just an unreal sort of um mindset to be in uh, for and for people to understand that kind of mindset like people sort of say you know i've heard people say oh, how you know how selfish how can someone do that and whatever and you just like you just you know i'm not saying that people don't have a clue but when you kind of delve into this area even in a small amount you realize it's so so much more than that and it's and it's yeah. for someone to say oh actually how can someone be selfish it's you're not I'm not saying you're not qualified to make that judgment and that understanding, but you're you don't know enough about this subject to make that flipping yep. statement because it's so much more than that.
1: It's tough. And also even even me sharing, it's surface level. Because I'll never know I never know the reality. I'll never know, you know, what my dad was going through. Of course, yeah. So even the way I explain it, it's how I have what I've learned about it. actually even then it's surface level. And even um, you know, I talk about it a lot when and also, like, press coverage of, for example, like, um, you know, Caroline Flack or any kind of celebrity that ends their own life. Or, um, even when you hear of, you know, people, young people that have maybe ended their own life. And Rory talks a little about this a lot as well, where the headlines like, you know, 15 year old ends their life because of social media bullying. It's like, there's never like one reason why someone would end their own life mm. uh, you know the same with caroline flack i'm sure you know that traumatic experience is very hard to deal with but there's never that kind of like one reason why someone could do it it's normally like various different reasons and even with my dad it's like even when he you know took his own life the kind of question that i started to get when i was a bit more open about it was you know what happened like did he lose money like, was him and your mum all right and you know kind of those questions like that um and you can never pinpoint it down to just one thing. Mm-hmm. And I always share the story of like, my dad just broke that one day, but in my dad's mind, I'm pretty certain he was breaking for years and years and years before that. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, as you've said, there was moments I'm sure where he had these suicidal thoughts or suicidal tendencies, you know, back in 2006, 2007, 2008, when it was kind of leading up to his breakdown. Mm-hmm. Um, and none of us saw that. and even kind of with the education I now have around, um, OCD, um, you know, I've met a lot of people, a lot of good friends as well that that deal with OCD and my education around OCD for the last, you know, even, you know, the last two years, I've only started to really understand it, you know, for 28 years of my life was that if I've got OCD, I'm just going to move stuff around and I'm clean and that's it. Mm. Whereas OCD, you know, there's various different, you know, you know, various different forms of OCD, but a good friend of mine, he talks about, um, you know, obsessive compulsive like thinking that also leads to suicide mm. like tendencies and suicidal thoughts. So if I don't do this, I'm going to do this and yeah. I'm going to take my own life. And this is going to happen. Um, and I look at my dad now and I think to myself, his obsessiveness, mm. I used to see as determination. Whereas is was his obsessiveness you know an illness mm. like it becomes so much sometimes that like even my mum explained my brother was just born my mum was struggling just had a newborn and my dad was like I'm going for a run she was like you do not go for a run I need help like you need to be here like I'm, I'm struggling you've just come in from work my dad got his shoes and went for a run and my dad wasn't that kind of malicious guy that you know that wasn't in my dad's kind of you know DNA but it was almost like he had to go for a run. Does yeah. that make
0: sense? Yeah, it's rich, almost, almost ritualistic, yeah. yeah.
1: Had to go for a run every day, had to write in his book every day what he did, how far he went, um, even like money, the obsessiveness with um, money as well. Hmm. You hmm. know, all of that kind of came into play. Hmm. So again, I'm not, I'm not answering for my dad because he's not here to s- explain the story, but I didn't have that understanding now. Then when I have a bit more understanding about it now, I look at it and I question it. You know, did my dad have OCD? Did he, did he struggle with that um, yeah.
0: as well? Yeah. Do you want to get involved with a community of other dads who are looking to develop themselves? To continue the conversations we have here on this podcast in a place for dads only that fosters brotherhood, camaraderie and personal growth, then we have just the place for you. At the Guild of Dads Facebook group, you can connect with other dads on a similar journey. Share experiences, offer support, and seek support. Most of all, you can get some accountability in your own journey and get involved with the discussions and topics that every dad faces. So look us up on Facebook. Join up and get involved with the discussion. Looking forward to seeing you in the Guild so you can start your journey with us today. And I think there's, there's that kind of interweaves with a couple of other different things because I interviewed a guy called Dan Keely about bipolar, and he... You know just weaving together a few of the things we've just discussed he said there was never any mental illness in his family sort of thing so there was no you know this perception that people have that oh, okay your parents or your grandparents have got to have had mental illness it, it doesn't you know it doesn't kind of work like that so that that was the first thing i was going to mention and the second thing was is um i spoke to a previous guest regarding um you know we, we we've touched upon relationship with with thought if you like um and you mentioning um obsessive compulsive disorder, there's there's also a form of that called puro, which I I'd, I'd, I'd found out about about a year ago, I suppose, when I was reading um, about different kind of disorders and stuff and that, and which is pretty frightening. It's not actually r- uh, rituals; it's actually having obsessive thoughts about stuff. So it could be about kind of about. Uh, murdering your your husband or um, yeah. sexually abusing your kids, and what happens is it basically preys on your biggest fear, and then kind of and and that's that's its kind of modus operandi into your headspace, so to speak, um, which is a terrifying thing. But I think the, the the and what what how this relates to the subject of your book is you talk a lot about um, particularly in terms of men. You know them having to kind of man up and deal with it kind of sort of stiff upper lip and you know grit and determination to get through this stuff i think the thing is is as as a society we've kind of got into this thing of you can't think like that you can't have thoughts like that and stuff and all of a sudden our kind of heads are kind of like this box which where you know no one knows what's going on inside someone's head at any one particular moment in time so and most of us are like, oh, actually, if people knew what I was thinking right now, I'd be like sent to the mental institution, or I'd be cast aside, or I'd be a leper, or whatever. But it's not until you and and you discuss this in your book, where you, you where you sit down with um, Anne, I think it was, and you know, you suddenly realise actually everyone has thoughts, and once you start being able to kind of talk to Someone. It might not be your best mate. It might be, practically speaking, it might be a therapist or it might be a counsellor or whoever. Once you start being able to kind of um talk about certain thoughts, they kind of lose their power. Do you know what I mean? And I think it's yeah. it's that. I think the stigma of mental health is not so much. You know, we we all hear it in the press where it's kind of oh yeah, we all got to talk about mental health. It's not just that. It's talk. It's it's actually saying right. It's normal for you to have thoughts and. You need to go and have a chat with someone to make sense of these thoughts and actually say and realize that everyone is having thoughts but i think the problem is is kind of locking them all away and kind of thinking actually no one thinks like this and it's bad for me to think like this that's the real that as i see it that's more of a problem than actually people talking about mental health in the first place it's actually do you know what i mean
1: yeah exactly and i think as you said it was um it was a realization that, as I said, I was going through that and all my friends were going through that, you know, no, no one was experiencing this. When, when I look back on that now and I have conversations with them, you know, they were all experiencing stuff. It's like, you know, they were all dealing with their own issues. So if I was open to them back when I was like 19, 20, they would have been open back. Mm. But as you said, it was kind of, you know, I deal with mine, they deal with theirs and that's it. And what helped me talk more about it because I, I'm I'm a people pleaser getting better but you know I'm I do worry about judging people judging me. So um you know I, I'm a lot better at it but you know when I go and do a talk at like a construction company for example like my initial reaction is walk in, all these guys are there and I'm oh, no, you know, this isn't gonna go down well. And then it's just that reminder of actually, you know, I'm I'm judging them. Like here I am judging them and walking into a room saying, oh these guys look big so they're not gonna be wanting to talk about our mental health. And then I remind myself, you know, everyone here in this room has mental health. Everyone in this room has fought everyone in this room has been through some adversity or has emotions. And all I'm going to do is share my story. And as soon as I do that, it kind of puts them in a much, you know, a different place of like everyone in this room is all on the same level field. And, um, you know, as soon as I then start sharing, like the response is always amazing. And mm. it's as you said, guys that I would look at and I would judge and say this guy isn't gonna want this because he's gonna tell me to kind of man up and deal with it is mm-hmm. the one who normally then stands up and is like so honest and open about like how they're feeling. Yeah. Um so it's so true and it it isn't about like just you know, pushing it on people, but it's more about normalizing it. If you do want to talk about it, it's okay. And I think, you know, the book Man Up, Man Down, a lot of people look at that and they say, oh, yeah, you're trying to stop people from saying man up, you know, trying to stop people from just getting on with it. Um, and that isn't actually the case. It's more about, in some cases, we do need that man up. And in some cases, we need the man down. Mm-hmm. It's, it's in that balance. And I know, like, you've, you've I think you recently had Tanner on. Like yeah, 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 yeah. And, and like people like Ryan Mitchler, and there's a lot of other guys out there as well that you know we share different beliefs and some stuff, but I'm also very um, you know open to a lot of what they say mm. because I I believe as a man sometimes I do need that that masculine kind of like you know tap into that masculine level because that's going to help me in this situation like if I'm doing personal training I want to get in shape I actually want someone shouting at me like telling me to man up like get on with it because that's how. I naturally train better. Yeah. But I also know and accept that if I do want to be open and open about my emotions and I want to talk about it and I want to cry and I want to get emotional, like, that's perfectly fine as well. So for me, as you've said, and it comes back to what we were talking about with grief, it's so individual. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, how do you define being a man? Um, as long as both sides are normalized, then, you know, we can we can kind of fit in wherever we feel like we need to fit in.
0: Yeah. And funny enough, I spoke to Dave Cottrell about this a couple of weeks ago when we were discussing the issue of ownership, uh, because that has become very um, popular um, due to the teachings of you know Jocko Willink. And it's something that has been very much seized upon by the kind of the um, the the manosphere, if you like. Um, But in talking to Dave about it, we realized uh, when we were talking about it was there is kind of like a spectrum of ownership. Some guys, yeah, if you were to picture ownership as like a 25 kilo weight, okay, some guys, you give them that 25 kilo weight of ownership and they're like, yeah, bring it on. I can take that right now sort of thing. Other guys might not be at that level. They they may well need like a kilo of ownership and then gradually take on a kilo a week until they can get up to that 25 kilos of ownership. And I think this is kind of, very much what we're talking about here where not everyone is ready to take full-on ownership of everything right now because they're not they're not strong enough in order to do that mentally strong enough not physically strong enough and it's kind of like giving someone it's it's like trying to give someone a massive amount of ownership who are not quite there mentally readily ready for it is a bit like trying to give someone a 25 kilo boulder when they've got a sprained ankle and getting them to walk up a hill with it they're just not going to mm. they're just not going to do it whereas someone that's kind of physically fit and healthy they can carry it and this, and you can use the i like the analogy between physical and mental health because i think it kind of for people to visualize it in their mind like you, there's no way that you'd give someone that to do if they're not ready for it sort of thing and i think yeah it touches upon very much what you say in man up man down in terms of everyone being on a like a spectrum of, you know, how much they can really take at at any one particular point in time. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, and I think that's all part of learning as well. We're always learning. We're always evolving. Um, You know, when I thought I dealt with my dad about, I don't know, five, six years ago, I hadn't. It was just pure denial. It was pure, you know, I'm down, like, you know, now I feel I'm in a good place. But actually, I was still renting a nice house. I still had a nice car, you know, and all of that kind of, like, ego was still there um whereas even now like i look back and i'm in a much you know a different place i also know that i still need to do more Mm -hmm. so like you have said it's about i still need to take on a a kilogram of ownership or whatever it is you know between now and the next five years um sometimes you take on like 10 kilograms at once sometimes you know you, you won't take on any it's i think as soon as we start again categorizing this is how you deal with emotions that's when we start having problems because mm. there's no kind of, there's no reason for self-awareness then. Like mm. you know, I'm I'm never I find it hard when people say, oh, you know, well, how can I get better? So like, I I can't answer that question. All I can do is share what worked for me, but it really comes down to you finding out what works for you. Mm. Um, even like Anne, like you you mentioned Anne. Anne was the lady who helped me massively, and she's she's very spiritual, and she she kind of talked about, and I don't know why I gravitated. You know, I'm t- a 21 year old from Essex. Like, I don't know why spirituality especially someone who isn't religious i'm still not religious but like spirituality comes back to that whole meaning part for me mm. it's like it was so simple like you know why did i never look at life this way um and people have said to me like oh can i go and see Anne? like and magic you know she's amazing and they'll go and they'll be like whoa you know she's she's not for me like i don't know how she's helped you so it's there's there's we need that level of self-awareness, right? Yeah. We need that level of awareness that, like, what helps me helps me. But, like, you know, how you deal with your emotions is how you deal with your emotions. The way mm. my wife deals with her emotions is the way she deals with it. The same way that I support my wife with her emotions is very different to the way that I support my mum with her emotions. Mm. It's like there's no there's no just one-size-fits-all approach. And I still feel like even though we are moving away from that, we're still trying to then find that mould back into that one-size-fits-all approach. Yeah. Every man should cry Mm, you know all right if a man struggles to cry then they're going to be judging themselves because they're struggling to cry whenever every man should be able to cry yeah um so yeah i think we need that self-awareness to understand what what works for us and just kind of tune in on that that's the most important thing
0: yeah it's a custom fit glove rather than a kind of standard standard fit yeah and i think we're noticing that you know we touched upon it at the beginning of the program you know awareness is a big thing because particularly at the moment with you know us being on lockdown and living very different lives at the moment, it's being aware of how you you know what works for you and what doesn't work for you in the different you know situations. Morning routines is one thing I talk about a lot with people, you know, because again there's a push at the minute where you know you need to be people. Say, oh yeah, you need to be getting up at five o'clock in the morning or half four in the morning, um, and. Again, it doesn't work for everyone. You may be <laughs> you may be a half, you know, six, half, six riser. Um, but, you know, it does, like, early mornings do not work for everyone or whatever. But everyone's mm-hmm. like, at the minute, everyone's like, yeah, I've got to join a 5am club. No, you don't. If it doesn't work for you, That's it there's no point because you're just going to be miserable, hungry, half asleep. It's just not going to work <laughs> for you sort of thing. And just like, it's just not for everyone. But there is a kind of push, you know, push towards... Push towards doing, you know, doing doing that sort of thing. So,
1: and, and I think like this is it, it's even hard for me to say now. And I keep talking about it, but we all can fall into that self improvement trap as well, right? Yeah. So I've, I've been there, and I'm still there. I, I'm still learning. But you know, as you said, oh, you know, five AM, get up at five AM, right? I get up at five AM, and then you know, do workout, do this, do that, do this, and then you know, I did that for a long period of time, probably from even even before my dad that was always me like i always wanted to be the best at football i always wanted to be the best runner i always wanted to be you know whatever um so then i quickly found myself like completely beating myself up when i wasn't hitting it so when i wasn't getting up a five and i wasn't going for that run you know like rocky does with the hood up <laughs> like that that was that was that was me beating myself up for the rest of the day so then that was really impacting me and then what i would do is i would try it and then i would do it and then you know there's that kind of self-judgment you're putting on yourself. Mm. And actually, like, it again, it was a lot of uh, – I can't remember what book it was. I think it was maybe Michael Singer, I think it was. Mm. Um, again, it's like, I think it was like Unevered Soul, maybe. Um, and he spoke about, like, acceptance. Now, acceptance, again, for me, doesn't sit right because I'm very competitive. So it's like if I accept, then I'm not growing. Um, I'm, like, giving in to, to where I'm at right now. But actually what acceptance was was um, – you know accepting that if you're not getting up at 5 a.m it's all right No, like, it's, it's not a problem don't beat yourself up you get up at 5 a.m the next day you know that's fine as well it's like accepting every emotion that you have and like you said during this time our emotions are going to be like this they're going to be roller coasters same with grief the same with anything that happens and for me it's about accepting that that's okay at the same time accept any emotion whether it's low whether it's high um but also know with acceptance that if I'm continuously telling myself it's okay, then tomorrow morning at 5am I might get up and go for a run. Like that's mm-hmm. fine. So it's, it's appreciating what I have, appreciating that every four, everything that happens in life is okay. Um, but at the same time, you know, still pushing yourself mm-hmm. a little bit. It's not acceptance in the fact that, you know, I'm never going to get better than this. I'm just going to kind of relax and not do anything. But, um, accepting that what I have, I'm happy for, and whatever emotions I have are all, all intended. Everything that happens is all intended, you know, and just kind of looking at life that way as well.
0: Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. I think that is important because I think the, there's no one is going to beat you up. Like you're going to beat yourself up in my yeah. experience. If there's one thing that 41 yeah. years on this planet has told me that is that no one is going to beat you up. Like you're going to beat yourself up. And if you're that yeah. kind of person, you know, that's going to get pummeled into the ground by yourself. Yeah. Um,
1: and, and I love social media, but like you say, it's, and I've even had people say it to me, which I'm trying to change a little bit. As people have said on social media, like how, you know, you know, how did you how are you dealing with stuff so easily now? And it's like, okay, if my content's coming across that way, then I want to do some more different content because social media is just that highlight reel. So, like you said, if I want to be a billionaire CEO, I'm going to go on YouTube. how to be a billionaire CEO, and it's going to tell me that I need to go up at four a.m. every morning. So. Yeah. So now you're putting that kind of pressure on yourself to to, to live that routine yeah. um, and even homeschooling as, as you, you're you probably aware as well it's like during that period where every parent was now homeschooling you know, every parent's putting on social media the routine, the kind of, the drawing that they've done the kind of great work that they've done yeah. but no one's putting on social media the argument they just had or the fact they've thrown like a pen across the room because they're angry with their children, it's like and and be honest, like that's happening. It's not happening all the time for everyone, but there's gonna be that kind of up and down. Yeah. Um. So it's that expectations, like you said, of ourselves, and also, you know, accepting that we are gonna have times where we we're not doing as well. Yeah. Than others than we are as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think as well, touching on that social media thing, and I'm probably gonna get totally outcasted by you know everyone within the self help development uh, community for this. What I've noticed, having been involved. Uh, on the kind of fringes of self help for about a couple of years now, is there are uh, a fair amount of people who are legit and who, who are who they say they are, and their backstory is uh, 100% coherent. But I think it's important for listeners to realize that there are a, an equal amount of people whose backstory is a total and utter BS. And when you kind of drill down on it, actually, you know they'll say that you know certain so, so um relative died of xyz and they didn't or they've suffered from um drinking alcohol problems and they haven't um and it's a deeply I'm, I'm probably speaking totally out of turn saying this but i've realized it in the, certainly in the last six months that there's quite a lot of people who are out there in this self-help space who are just not who they say they are at all sort of thing and it's a backstory that has been created purely in order to sell an ebook or sell a course or sell something that you're going to part two three four five thousand pounds or dollars for in order to make someone very rich so it's important to see that if you are looking at someone or reading a book or whatever just do a little bit of investigation just do a bit of backstory research maybe check them out on linkedin or facebook or whatever and stuff and just you know ask a few questions that you would of anyone any professional that you were looking to kind of take their advice or whatever and stuff because you know as you know paul there's a few there's a fair few guys in this space that are pretty legit we've mentioned a few of them in this conversation already whose backstories are 100 percent true but there is equal, <laughs> equally equally quite a few who just like come on Really?
1: Yeah, and I think, honestly, you know, it's if you're doing it from a business point of view, there's a lot of money to be made. So mm. you can craft a nice story. It's you know, and you know, this is my business and my marketing hat on now. Like marketing-wise, with social media and online, you can paint a, a false picture. So, like, even with the book, I always use as an example: if I share twenty different, twenty different photos of. 20 different people holding my book in 20 different, maybe locations, like one person's on a plane, you know, one person's on the beach, one person's at home. It makes it look like I've sold thousands of copies, right? But in reality, like I could have just sold 20 and those 20 people I could have paid. But the reality of social media from a marketing point of view is that can make it seem like I've sold a huge amount of books. So the same with obviously as you say, when these kind of people are entering this space, they can easily craft and manipulate a story. And also the, the way we buy is typically on emotion. So if I'm struggling with alcoholism and I read someone's story and it's perfectly entwined with that, and I have that emotional connection, mm-hmm. and then they tell me how they kind of dealt with it. I'm very, I'm I'm sold very easily into that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way I look at it, you know, and the same with you, is intent will win long term. So like the amount of content I put out, the amount of stuff I do for free, the same as you, I would never do if I wasn't intending on it, helping people. Yeah. Does that make sense? So It's like people will come and they'll make a quick buck maybe over the next couple of years, especially your mental health, like mental health in particular, you know, self improvement aside, if you're looking at mental health, there's a huge amount of money to be made. Um, but I'll probably still be here hitting the bell like 15 years 20 years later because because it's my meaning it's like i want to help people like my dad i want to set up a better future for my kids i want mm. mental health to be normalized um whereas these kind of people as you said like they're mm. just chasing money so are they going to be here in 10 15 years when the kind of wave is probably mm. then you yeah. know
0: passed possibly but yeah
1: it's a really good point to just just you know because, again, it's that self-improvement trap. We can easily buy a lot of stuff and fall into the wrong, you know, places. It's yeah. do a bit of, you know, ration, rational thinking before
0: you <laughs> spend five grand. I've, I've done that before as well. <laughs> <laughs> but I think um, one thing that kind of really resonated with me uh, reading your book was you mentioned Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning quite on more than one occasion in that in in your in your book now for me back probably uh i think i read it in about july august last year when i was on holiday and that again that was one of the books it was a big influence on me um that along with uh, winston churchill's biography and you can see churchill sitting on my shoulder here yeah. um and i think the reason that man's search for meaning kind of really resonated for me um personally was that i'd read uh jordan uh jordan peterson the 12 rules for life and probably four or five different books around a sort of similar subject and all of these books um the north star for man was meaning at some point in all of these books they mentioned meaning and you begin to realize you know that, that it is very much a north star for a lot of guys and it is the thing that is um i think a lot of the issues that we're seeing um not just for men and dads but i think just in the general population i think they seem to orbit around this central kind of star of meaning and i just what i wanted to sort of touch upon that with you paul how how much that book kind of has influenced you i'm pretty sure it has yeah it's it's it's, it's like
1: you said it's, it's that one is a combination as well um yeah I, you know the, the work I do is so meaningful um you know my wife would probably tell you I'm addicted to it and you know I have those I have those obsessiveness traits that my dad had like you know I'll openly admit that um you know it's it, it's hard for me to switch off sometimes because because that meaning is so strong it's mm-hmm. like and I never thought I'd be saying this because whenever you people used to say this I'd be like yeah yeah you know I wouldn't believe them but it's it's so strong. I want, I want to be able to create some form of change. Like, you know, originally that was helping people like my dad and then that kind of moved a little bit into, you know, when I become a dad, you know, I want my boys to grow up with a society that's a little bit more open, that helps there if they need it. Um, my grandkids, you know, you know, I mean, I'm a young dad, so I'll probably get grandkids. Um, not too early, hopefully. Um, (laughs) So like that, how 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 is the work I'm doing impacting you know my grandkids? Um, so that for me is a huge huge part of the work that I do. But then meaning comes from different places as well. It's not just that, you know or, you know there's meaning on on being like the best husband I can be, the best son that I can be, the best dad that I can be. Um, but yeah, we all need that kind of as you say north star that keeps us going every single day. it's like I wake up some days, and I'm being honest, like some days I can't be bothered to get out of bed. Even this morning. You know, we had such a chill two days, me and the family, that it's hard to get back into that kind of, you know, routine. So I thought to myself, I'll get up early, I'll go for a run. You know, I didn't do, didn't do any of that. You know, I just thought I'd get in the shower and just crack on. Um, and that, that meaning is, is still there. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, and even yeah. some days when, when you're having bad days, they're okay because that meaning is still there and you're going you're gonna to pick yourself up after a while. Um, so yeah, I think with my dad, you know, his meaning was probably around, I don't know, family, work, but lots of was his obsessiveness. And then you know, when that meaning gets stripped of you, mm. and and just quickly as well, and I'm, I'm now wobbling on, but meaning in life, footballers, you know, I, I remember hearing an interview of Wayne Bridge, and he was talking about how when he retired at 35, it was the hardest part in his life mm. because his whole life has been his meaning has been football. Waking up, training, being the best player you can be, all of that. And then all of a sudden when that meaning gets stripped of you, it's like hard. You don't you don't know what to do. Yeah. Um and you, you hear that from from loads of different professions as well. Yeah. So yeah, I am I'm am I'm, I'm definitely one to say that, you know, read those books, try and find what the meaning is for you. Yeah. Um yeah. I, would, I would say don't stress it. Like my meaning has changed dramatically over the last
0: yeah. But like, seven years yeah and i like the fact that you mentioned wayne bridge and the fact that not stressing it and allowing it to change because i had a discussion with a um with a guy in a men's group recently around because our tagline for guild of dads is vision action meaning meaning that you kind of craft a vision for yourself you take action on it and through taking the action that's how you kind of derive the meaning from it which is which is which is pretty pretty, it's a pretty simple journey. You can express it as an equation as well. Vision plus action equals meaning. Um, but um, some guys... Like, like,
1: so just quickly on that, because I really like that. That was exactly exactly what happened to me. It's like I had a vision that I wanted to help people like my dad. And then that turned into a blog post. And then that turned into um, you know, a video. Then that turned into standing on stage and sharing it. But it wasn't about a year after that... It then become my whole thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, you so d- exactly. you don't
0: realize it till you kind of you don't realize the process until you actually kind of have started d- doing the process. But I think what yeah. guys some what what guys sometimes get is they get fixated in well, what if I start my journey uh, towards my vision and taking action and um and um what if something changes and whatever and stuff. And I think that's a re- what you said about it um it can change is a really, really important point that I can't stress enough to guys who are trying to going on a journey, so to speak. the the journey the the uh, the meaning is in the journey. So you don't kind of get the meaning by the vision itself. You kind of you get it through taking action on it day on a on a kind of daily or weekly or monthly basis and and moving towards that. And you may will find that there is a point at which that changes. It, like, like you said about Wayne Bridge, he finished, his, he finished his professional career and he had to look at something, a, a different vision for himself to start moving towards. So this is a kind of very organic thing that can kind of change. It's not like it's fixed in stone and you might get to the per- place you want to be at and then you might think, right, I need to um, course correct and do something else sort of thing. So, but I think it's it's really helpful to see uh, meaning as a fluid and a fluid thing, and the journey is the as the is the is, is the part where you get the meaning and you find stuff that is meaningful. Um, yeah. And I think that's what guys yeah. miss.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you if you did I I don't know how many people will search this, but I'm sure I've searched it as well. Like, what is my purpose? <laughs> like, Google's not going to tell you what your purpose is. It's no. like because God, we are looking for that because we all want purpose, we all want meaning. So it's like you know, I quickly want it like yes you've broken down. I think it's a really good way of breaking it down is you're only gonna find that purpose and that meaning, you know, through the journey, through through the action that you're taking. And let's be honest, like my meaning might change in ten years' time. Mm. Like, who knows? It might be that I personally have been impacted by, I don't know, physical illness. And then that becomes, you know, my meaning. Like, you know, I talk a little bit about, I won't, you know, talk much about it now, but like my brother, you know, was in an accident and like his whole meaning's changed because His whole meaning prior to the accident was one thing, and now his whole meaning is like recovery. It's rehabilitation. It's like trying to get the best that he can be through his brain injury. Um, My mum's meaning massively changed from what she was doing to now being my my brother's full time carer. So, like, this is my meaning now. But like in ten years' time, it might be something completely different. Mm -hmm. So I think, like you said, it's just having a meaning whatever it is at certain points in your life. And that will always evolve and it will always
0: change. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a fantastic conversation today, Paul. Yeah. And, and there is tons of, I'm going to hold this, this uh, man's book up, man up, man down. And I would thoroughly recommend okay. that you check it out. And it, and it touch and his book, Paul's book touches upon a lot of the different things that we've spoken about today. It, it describes the journey he's been on, Um, If I was to actually go through the book cover to cover with him, it would be probably about a three, four hour podcast. So we've done our kind of best to shoehorn it into uh, something that is manageable today. But it's definitely, definitely one worth checking out. Now, usually towards the end of my um, discussion, I would ask you, Paul, just to let uh, listeners and viewers now because this is going to be going on to youtube this one um it's the second one that we've done on youtube um where can people find out about you what you're doing link up with you on social media carry on the conversation yes
1: yeah, so if you search for paul mcgregor you should find me but if not um instagram instagram facebook even tiktok i'm doing a lot on tiktok actually just search for um p mcgregor com so P-M-C-G-R-E-G-O-R-C-O-M um and then if you want to reach out personally on email um you can reach out to my personal email which is paul at pmaggregor.com mm-hmm. as well and then finally as well because you did mention it we're actually doing um we just launched a project uh, an application for the workplace we're trying to normalize mental health conversations um in the workplace and then that's also going to be branched out into schools as well um and that's everymindatwork.com so if you want to check that out too
0: all right super and what i'll do as well paul is i'll link all this up in the show notes so people can check it out online if they miss anything that we've kind of mentioned so those are um those will be on the website guildofdads.com so uh, you can check it out there thank you very much for joining us today man it's been a pleasure thank you for having me on cheers man. man there you go yes bye so there you go my conversation with paul I was excited before I interviewed Paul because I'd read his book from cover to cover and there were a lot of the things that he was describing in his book that I could really relate to. Now and again, I read someone's story and it resonates. I don't know what it's like to experience suicide in my family, but many of the emotions and experiences that Paul went through, being an 18-year-old losing a parent, I totally understand. As we discuss death, Any death is difficult to understand or contemplate, whatever age you are at, but dealing with it on the brink of becoming an adult presents its own challenges. What I really liked about Paul is his very down-to-earth manner in which he describes his experience together with his growing understanding of the human condition, in particular how we perceive the world around us. My key takeaways from today's conversation are mental health issues can affect any family at any time and it's wrong to assume that it won't happen in your family. People need to be aware of the frame of mind that suicide presents and I think that this fact in and of itself is the key to early detection and getting people the help they need. The other thing that I took away from my conversation with Paul was the fact that we can all benefit from engaging in self-knowledge, self-compassion and awareness and this is the key to unlocking the richness that life's journey presents to us. Now if you want to find out a bit more about Paul you can check him out his website is www.pmcgregor.com which is p-m-c-g-r-e-g-o-r G R E G O R. And you can also check out his new venture, which is everymindatwork.com, which is helping mental health in the workplace, which is everymindatwork.com. His Twitter handle, Instagram and Facebook is at PMCGregor. And also you can check out his book, Man Up, Man Down, which is available on Amazon. I'll link up all of these in the show notes to the episode, which you can find on guildofdads.com. And also... In there, there is a link to the gentleman that we uh, mentioned in this episode, uh, Rory O'Connor, who is the Head of Suicide Research at Glasgow University, if you want to find out a bit more about his work. I've linked that up in the show notes. If you want to hear more discussions, just like this one today, the best way to do it is by subscribing on your podcast player of choice, be that iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. If you subscribe, then you will uh, get to find out The podcast episodes are coming up each week. They'll just pop up on your podcast player of choice. So that is the best way to hear more discussions like the one today. You can drop us a rating and review. That'd be very much appreciated. But the biggest compliment that you can give to me is by just sharing this episode out, however you want to, whether that be on WhatsApp, Messenger, or text. The more information that can be shared out, it's really important As some of the information can be truly life-changing for dads that you may know. So if you can do that, that'd be really fantastic and I would really appreciate it. You can get involved with the discussion on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter using the handle at Guild of Dads and check out our Facebook group to join the Guild. If you like what you hear and you want to email me, I'd love to hear from listeners. So ping me an email, joe at guildofdads.com. Let me know what you like, what you don't like and who you would like me to interview even. I'd love to know. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more about what we're doing at Guild of Dads, then head over to www.guildofdads.com and in the meantime, live a life of vision, action and meaning.